So I here's what I want to uh, start off. Um, so Lee, you are a a certified Cicerone. Is that correct? What the? <laughs> I have to start that. Oh, I yeah. have to. I'll have. To. I'll have to oh, show you guys. Uh, so we got one here. Yeah. Look at that. And then, uh, then we have the brewery over here where there's another eight cats in the bowl. Oh, what the, the man. <laughs> His wife loves it. <laughs> there's been a point of conversation lately, especially with the baby. But I mean, like, you know, uh, for, for, um, so for people that, that are, aren't aware, the Cicerone essentially, um, is the sommelier level uh, of for beer in the beer world? So how did you how did you attain that? Yes. Uh, so I just I love beer and I've been studying it for so long. So by the time they developed uh, the Cicerone program, uh, I just did some studying and then I was able to pass the I think it's the first level. So there's a, there's an advanced Cicerone and then there's a, a master Cicerone yeah. that there's only like twenty in the world. And I think that that's probably more like gotcha. the master Samule. That is wild. Yeah. yeah, but it's cool. If you really like beer, it's, uh, it's fun to, to go on their website and, uh, and kind of take like uh, an exam. Like the beer server is something that they really do uh, for just anyone who works in a beer-focused restaurant. <laughs> yeah. What are your old days at TGI yeah. Fridays? Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> could, you know, you could have recommended a – you know, a Milwaukee's best. Oh yeah, Foster's. you guys were serving <laughs> on tap. Yeah. So how do you like? Yeah. How do you train for that? You drink. Uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, you get drink beer and uh, you read books about it. And uh, if you have uh, like a place like Total Wine has like really good selection, you can go and you get every single style, and then you can kind of compare the like. What's them What's your favorite style of beer? Then you corner everything. Oh, that changes, but I oh, think the Trippel. You go, is you go the Belgian one route. One of my favorites. Had a boy. Belgian route, and then also German Pilsners too. There's just like I think I'm going See, into I, my old man. Lee, I'm right there with you. I'm over. I can't. You know? I can't do. I'm over the IPAs. <laughs> I'm over the IPAs. It's an oversaturation in the California market, and if not the whole North American market. Thank you so much. I'm okay, so I feel validated. That's it. That's it. Yeah. so crew. So when you when you hang out with Lee, if yeah. like if you guys go to a beer bar or something, do you does he does he want to drive the ship or or do you or does he allow you to pick your own beverages? We don't. Well, the, the main thing is we don't really talk about anything. He just just tells me what's in every beer for like the two hours that we're there. <laughs> and then for like the last 30 minutes, then we'll probably connect over something. But no, I always ask for his recommendation. And then he know he knows what I like more than I like. Um, I'm more of a, more of a cocktail go. man myself. Um, and oh, don't forget the, 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 the dinners are when we bring a bunch of different beers to like uh, those restaurants and we, we try oh. different food with the perfect beer. So uh, Leroy's partner, Ash, she's a, a master chef as well. And so they've got this thing where Leroy pairs beers with like individual either parts of meals or meals as a whole. So you have like an every time we eat together, uh, they bring beers and it's like an experience. It's actually it's kind of unbelievable, but it's like it's like a double edged sword because I'm always going to get overserved because it's just like it's just so incredible. But um yeah, I love it. I think Leroy's what got me on the uh, Trapels as well, but um, I don't know. There's so many different, like every time I go over there, I find a new beer that I've never heard of that I like. He's got like tw what, 20 something different uh, beers on tap, right? How many yeah. you got? 16. At your tap. home? Jeez. What a world. <laughs> what a world. Yeah. Our beer. <laughs> All right, so all right, all right. I'm sorry. Well, I have to, Go ahead. All right, so if you got 16 taps, like, how do you maintain all of that? Like, how big are the? Yeah, alcohol. They're like five gallons. So you're just having parties all the time to get rid of all these. I got 16 taps. All right, so I got six more parties. That would take out four taps. Jeez, that's man. Sure, nothing makes me happier when I get all the friends over and we, you know, we tap a tap a. Can they out. sit for too long? Like, if you're not tapping one. Does it change the beer? You didn't learn that as a kid? 
It does. I mean, every single one uh, ages. And a lot of the times it seems like between six months and a year is like ideal for even some of the lighter beers. But I have an Imperial Stout that I've had on tap for like almost a year, uh, a little or a little over a year. And just because I, I never let any oxygen touch any of the beer, it ages pretty gracefully. And that one's... Gets, I see, that's your territory. You're a, you're a uh, Imperial Stout guy. I like the Imperial. But here's the thing. I am an American who constantly will... I'll have different trends and I'll get into stuff. But I always go back to like a canned Guinness. What the hell is going on with me? Is there anything to like the nitro injection? Like, why do I like that? Definitely. I had a Guinness after our premiere when we went to the bar. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's just the, how they carbonate it. Um, I think they have that special technology. It doesn't hit yeah, as hard yeah. as well, you know, the Guinness can. It's just so much better on, on tap. But it's they're just using, uh, using nitrogen, which is, I think it's tinier. Yeah, it's a much tinier, finer bubble. So it creates that just like creamy mouthful. But Guinness on uh, CO2 is actually pretty good, too. I think you can get that in bottle, the same, like, Guinness yeah, drought. Yeah, I don't know. I always do the nitro. Well, because when I was in college, they it. came out with those little capsules in the bottles that would release the nitrogen upon opening the bottle. Is oh, that still a thing? The, no, I don't think so. Those were fun. All right. Is that enough beer talk for you? <laughs> I, I, I'm you pretty know, satisfied. We watched your movie, and then we. Were, I was like, I had all these thoughts in my head. Um, and, you know, like, the way that you actually edited a convincing kind of like art house, what's happening? Like so many people fail with that. The fact that you had wolves in your movie, the fact that you made an actual interesting horror movie that had to do with like a religion theme, yeah. like what we're going to be in the middle of exorcist and the nun too. Like this is yeah. kind of hard territory to like carve out. And then Clark's like, Whoa, dude, <laughs> this guy's a beer expert. <laughs> <laughs> it's the yin and the yang. You know what I mean? And I, I, we give we give a full service here at the Overlook Hour. Yeah, you know, we did do a deep dive. We employed Google, our trusty detective, and we're looking at your background. And y'all seem to have like lived a fruitful life already, despite being kind of young. So I'm a little interested to know where you guys came from because I haven't heard of you before. And after watching your movie, I felt like I should have. <laughs> the nice thing to say. Go ahead, Leroy. Yeah. Well, so we made our first movie. Uh, it was a beer movie, and that kind of got me into. <laughs> okay, we're done with the beer. But that is how it started. And uh, me and crew, we uh, we've been working on this one movie for the last fourteen years. It has taken a lot of our time because we had to make we had to raise money bits by bits, and we basically turned it into our boyhood, where the characters age. And so we're finally going to finish that movie and uh, release that as well. And then we hope those two films will then allow us to, you know, pick up our pace and be able to make a film at least, you know, every year, every two years. Yeah. Um, from now on. Well, Devil's Fruit, it'd be out probably early next year. So you guys have worked together on previous, but this is the first time where you've come together as co-directors. So, uh, and, and we've, we've talked to, you know, plenty of, of co-directors before on the project and, you know, everybody kind of does it the, a different way. So um, how did you guys sort of manage that together? Um, like did, did, you know, one guy focus more on, you know, pre-production, post-production and the other was more focused like on step with the acting. Like how, how did you guys balance that? Well, I think it, um, well, our, our situation yeah. came like very, being very well prepped in the beginning, like working yeah. everything out. And then once the, uh, machine started to roll, we had a general idea of what we were trying to do, you know? And uh, like Leroy focus uh, with the actors and then I would uh, um, like work with Isaac in order to like, you know, uh, set the day and the prioritize like how we are going to do this, how we're going to make this happen, um, you know, and implement as much cinematic language as possible. And then once we came into post, it was, you know, right back like it was in the beginning, you know, us just banging it out. When you say Lee? Yeah, I mean, uh, the film that we worked on for the last 14 years, uh, crew was producer and editor and had just a tremendous amount of creative input in terms of like, you know, us making it together, even though I was a writer and director on that. And we thought that this was the perfect um, kind of film to launch it for in the future. Um, that crew will direct movies and all produce them and all uh, and vice versa. And we'll still fill the same role for each other that we did on this film. But, you know, that one person will have the 
you know, the, the brunt of it. So are y'all horror fans? And I, I hate even asking that, but I think it's in, uh, contractually you have to, I, I know it, it's part of the whole, uh, you got to wear like a black shirt with a horror movie logo on it, but it, it's always insightful because a lot of people don't come from horror and they make great horror films and y'all catch me as the type who might not be, you know, tattooed with Jason on you. I, um, I actually never really got into horror until prepping this film. I'm, I'm very affected by what I see. And so in like, like I had a, a list of like, the, you know, top hundred movies or whatever horror films that where we started and, I would watch at least one a day and then follow it with two episodes of Dan, Dick Van Dyke to clear my palate. But <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> but along the way, I, I, I really grew an appreciation for it. I think it's a great, like great genre to explore culture and life. I think. Um, and there's so much to learn from like the classics. Like there are such great horror films out there. Um, and, you know, in, in doing this, like I, it, Lee introduced me to a movie called The Possession that like still lives with me and it haunts me, actually. And then um, what was the one with Robert De Niro, uh, Leroy, that you love so much that was like your version of a horror? What was that movie? Are you talking uh, about The Mission? Mission. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like there's just a lot. I mean, it's not it's not a horror, but uh, like the existential crisis of that film when Lee like presented it was like, I don't know, that that really stuck with me. But um, yeah, horror fan for sure. And now, anyway. Is there anything you watched that was really hyped up for you and you absolutely hated? Oh, good question. Ooh, that's a good question. Good question. Man, I hate to talk shit about other films. Uh, oh, please do. Really? That's, what the, that's what the show's about. You know, no, here's the thing. Not. <laughs> it's called The Overlook Hour, and yet I've kind of yes. grown to despise The Shining. I mean, I love it. I think it's a great film to analyze, but yeah. it's one that gets so much praise that I, I'm a contrarian. I just start to turn, and I'm like, I <laughs> fucking hate this movie now. So please, anything. Nothing's off limit. I think I feel you that The Shining isn't as scary, but as a film, as a film, I, I am a fan of The Shining, yeah, sure. and that I think it's only scared me one time when I was like really high on edibles, and then I could like get into it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, so I, I, I uh, man, you know, you know, like I think, well, like Alien is one of my favorite movies, and. Um, this is going to be rough. Um, but aliens, <laughs> aliens, everyone loves. And I love James Cameron. I think he's a, a brilliant. But I'm not the – and I have projects that develop with Leroy that are basically built with the same construct of, of aliens. But for some reason, that movie doesn't land with me. Like I, I don't – it doesn't have the same like atmospheric tension as the first one. And I'm not as like pulled in. Um and I know that's very controversial because that's a lot of people's favorite film. But yeah. Just, and, you know, it's interesting because I can tell you guys got a little bit of the highbrow bone in you. And I think Aliens <laughs> is a perfect example of like what genre fans or like horror fans like. And this is the, the argument I get into all the time. Like I just watched the new Saw movie and I, I had to take this stance. Uh -huh. Like Aliens is a good genre movie. Like, you know, like a technical, like we're going to be studying this in film history. Probably not. But, yeah. it, you know, the whole nature of a sequel is, hey, they want more of that one. Do it bigger, make it better, and you have less money. And they nailed it. But it kind of changed the whole monster. Like, yeah. you know, an alien, that's a really atmospheric, slow build, kind of terrifying film. And Aliens is an action movie. Yeah. And they added Newt, which yeah. is why I don't like it. Because Newt is fucking annoying. I hate that the children will save us, like, narrative that they put in these films. So yeah. that's, yeah. So I'm with you. Crew, I'm with you. Fuck aliens. <laughs> We're together. We're alone, but together. <laughs> no, but no, I, I actually don't. I don't do any of the Saw movies. I saw, like, 20 minutes of the first one, and I was like, I have zero interest. I'm not shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not shocked there. Yeah. You know, I rewatched it uh, to get, like, um pumped up and refreshed because we're doing a prequel a, a sequel requel i don't know and uh i was kind of shocked at how schlocky the original saw was 
Yeah. Like it's really like Carrie Elvis is doing a weird, like it's almost, I've been calling it like, Hey, you watch your mouth. Hey, I love him, but it's almost (laughs) like an institution, like, um, like a Japanese performance. Like it's very big and dramatic. It's great. It's entertaining. It's goofy. (laughs) Goofy's a beloved Disney character, but you know, and the reason I brought this up is because you guys, you ventured into, and I mean this, it's murky water when you're making a religious horror film. There's so much baggage there already. And unless you're the exorcist, I don't know if anything's ever gotten any real critical praise venturing down that path. Right. Can you think of anything? Well, I mean, it's also, you know, it's, I would say it's, it's a tough territory too. Cause there, you know, the past few years there's been uh, I feel like we, you know, we get a couple nun movies every year. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, and, and, and that's why, you know, I think that the location is a big part in this movie uh, because everything feels cold and old. And I think that that's, that's very important in a nun. That's what I want in a nun movie. I want cold and I want old. So t- where did, where did you guys shoot this thing? Uh, Estonia. Oh, that, that, there you go. Check please. Oh my that's cold there, and old. There was six hours of light a day. And then the oh, time man. you were wrapped, it was midsummer, so the sun never went down. It's a it's a radical place, and the crew was we contested it. They're absolutely incredible. We shot during COVID, so we kind of had the uh, pick of the litter of the Baltics, and we got such incredible talent from our like local producer, our set designer, our um, makeup, visual effects artist. It was just everyone was amazing, but stunning. So when you pitch your film to like friends and and they're like, oh, what kind of movie did you make? Like, how do you navigate that territory? Because I, you know, like with younger kids now, you think of a religious horror film. It's like, oh, the Conjuring universe, which yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure you don't weave in there. Right. Deliverance isn't an extended universe edition. <laughs> no, it's not. that would be a good example. I don't I like the Conjuring original i thought it was good but i don't love the universe i think exactly (laughs) what you say it's 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 not horrific in the same way it's almost like a roller coaster of like fun and thrill without really like getting under the to the grit and you know yeah and i you know i think the conjuring stuff picked up because it's got kind of a um non-ironic sober tone when approaching like religion and uh Christianity, which yeah. you know, normally it's kind of like, I mean, the audience horror fans, a lot of them, I don't think they they're praying before they go to bed. So you get a kind of like schlocky fear driven, like the nun's going to whip me because they're an authority where y'all have kind of, you've created, you've done what I like about Christianity where you look back on it and you're like, man, it's kind of weird. Like when you really look at the text, there's a lot of, a lot of strange, interesting things going on. And you kind of, I feel like you all took a neutral view and really explored the, I don't know, potential conspiracy you could find in there or like explored the art of uh, spiritualism. I don't, I'm not really sure how to describe it. Well, that's because you're a heathen and you've never <laughs> been to church in your life. <laughs> Two times. That's why. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, like how, how do you guys end up approaching a genre film based around religion? Well, I think I, it's because we both actually have a very healthy fear of God uh, in general. Like we're, you know, and also when you're talking about the Bible, if you really uh, get into it, there's there's so much horror in it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like it's like to, like you get a test for verse twenty years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to really bring some of those uh, stories to the surface and why they are in there and why it's been a part of. Uh, Christian theology is like, you need to know this, you need to prepare yourself against evil. And this is what's out there. And I do think that me and crew both try to honor that spirit as much as possible. Well said the, our, our, with the healthy fear, I think what it caused us to do is just take an approach of authenticity to like the uh, themes we're exploring. So like all the the horrific incidences in the movie or the sexual incidents, we, we are very unapologetic. Like we don't mm-hmm. shy away from anything. There's no pull. Like this is taken seriously as though, you know, it's happening right now. And I think that's what's opened us up to like, you know, finding a new ground in this subgenre that's been like, you know, you know, 
very populated over the last couple of years. So we kind of carved our niche that way by like just treating this with respect and like, uh, you know, diving into it head first. And also crew embracing uh, the campiness of some of it. Cause it is, it's just so easy. And uh, yeah. even like our villain with the one eye is to embracing and leaning into that as, as hard as we could since they're really just symbols uh, and it's a story conventions for apocalyptic literature, you know, in general. All right, Lee, I'm going to push back on you there. I would yeah. never use the word campy when describing anybody in your film. Because oh, you guys, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> you navigate genre <laughs> well, but it's more of like a Tarantino, like we took this seriously. And Put a dollar in a jar, please. Oh, no, we're not doing that for Tarantino. I, again. You mention him every episode. As so a contrarian, I normally bring him up to uh, go on a tirade. But here it's a good thing. And I, I do think it's the, you know, it's why people like him because he takes a serious look at the like comic booky type uh, subject, except it's not, that's not really fair to say about Christianity, except that I think we, we navigate into that LA doesn't know how to fire a gun territory where everybody, all your friends who know what like real gun disciplines like when they watch a movie, they're like, Oh God, I can't yeah. do this. Yeah. Like they just, it, it's people made this script and they they've never held a gun clearly. And I think that really um, it comes through in your movie because it didn't feel like we're just kind of showing up and putting on a costume and uh, flipping a cross upside down. Well, I think what what we're what Lee is referring to when he says pulp is our conversations about our practical effects. So all of our effects are practical. And then when you're on set, like, you know, we're what you're seeing is like the most horrific thing that can be shown on camera. And then we're, you know, laughing in between takes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we're having a hell of a time. Um, that's that I think, and don't, and leave, stop me at any time. Um, I think that that's kind of what he's saying when he says like the pulpy aspects of our film, but the, like the symbolism that is examined with like Saul or like certain deaths in the film, that's um, it's taken a, you know, a, a, a real like unapologetic take of it, I think. So, Yeah. Yeah, I I also there's a moment in your film where uh, we spend time looking at paintings and I started thinking about like ah, when I, you know, the couple of times I did go to church. And for the record, my mother is very upset that she did not make me go more often. She blames a lot of what you see behind me on it. And uh, it's too late. You're destined for hell. It's too late. (laughs) And I, I would think about like, you know, the beautiful art contained in a church and kind of the broad uh, view that culture gives it now where you kind of don't even think about it. But when you look at a stained glass window, it's like the artistry is there, but also there's something being told. And I Mm. felt like you guys kind of captured that in your movie, which is not something I expect out of a 2023 Christian horror film. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. I mean, you're, I mean, these are great compliments, Russell. Thank you. <laughs> well, mind you, next week, Exorcist is coming out. So I'm kind yeah, of, yeah. and I just came off of The Nun 2. And, you know, I kind of like The Nun 2. It's like National Treasure meets um, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. What we've all been asking for. But why were they in a church and why is she a nun? I don't know. Well, who cares? That's <laughs> Act 3. I'm, so, I'm uh, I, have, I haven't seen that movie. Hey. Do I need to see that movie? I saw number one. I think one. you would hate it. <laughs> I hated the nun one. I will say that. I, I uh, unapologetically. So the, the nun one is weird because, you know, we were talking about the expanded universe. And I think with like Annabelle and all that, it's very like, hey, they're here for a puppet. Give them a fucking doll horror movie. With the nun, they tried, they took like an interesting pace and they used like a, a muted palette for the uh, color grade. And they tried to explore this territory. And I'm like, they're trying, but nobody else seemed to appreciate that and mostly agreed with you, crew. They're like, this is dumb. I fucking hate this movie. But The ro- <laughs> but the Nun 2 is a coming-of-age road movie. The Nun 2 had a couple of, like, set pieces that felt very akin to, like, what people wanted from the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, where they used CG and, like, an interesting idea to bring, like, a spiritual creature to life. She's very Pinhead or, like, Wishmaster now, yeah. which is, oh, like... Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like that's cool for a horror audience, but no. Like, what are we doing? Like, how does Ed and Lorraine Warren work into this world? And I, whatever, they're charlatans, so who cares? Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody's, everybody's got a mortgage. You know what I mean? I know. Hey, do yeah. what you got to do. So, you know, I'm just curious, like, crew, 
where does your influence come from? Like, you seem very pro practical effects. Are you like a Lars von Trier guy? I love Lars von Trier. In fact, our makeup, our VFX makeup artist was his. So, yeah. So the, the, the technical aspects of filmmaking and cinematic language is what I obsess over. Like, that's all I care. Like, that's what I care about the most is like, how are we telling the story with the camera? And then anytime you get to integrate practical effects into that, it's like a new, you know, a new like, like entity into the equation, you know? So I, I, I really geek out over that. I, um, the, I, I wouldn't say I, this movie is influenced for me as far as like, but from a lot of the um, like horror classics more so than, you know, any, anything else. It was just, I was just new to the appreciation of it. So if I was misleading when I say like, I didn't really watch like alien alien has been my second favorite movie probably since I was like 11 years old. Um, I just don't go out of my, didn't ever go out of my way to see horror unless it had uh, like a, a visionary telling the story or someone who, um, who like had an appreciation for cinematic language, like, you know, like Ridley or, I mean, who else, like, you know, Stanley Kubrick or someone like that. So, so alien was number two to what? Oh, cool. Hand Luke. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters is number three. So there'll All be right. a horror comedy somewhere in the future. I don't know, but Ghostbusters was number three. Interesting. Okay. For a minute there, I was getting a um, garbage in, garbage out kind of vibe. <laughs> like, I didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's that whole theory, like, uh, if you take garbage in, that's what you're going to create. Yes. And it seemed like your palate was very aware of that. But then you throw in garbage, or garbage, Ghostbusters, and I'm like, I don't know. You're teasing me here, crew. Well, Although that is a very good movie. There's different things to appreciate about these films, you know? And I think it's like you find what resonates with you, and then that's what sticks with you, you know? Yeah. Um, like Atmosphere for Ridley, um, uh, <laughs> Subtext for Stanley Kubrick, and then, I mean, we could, we could talk about this for ever but um yeah there's just something to take away from each of them so if it's a if it's someone that's trying to ask a question or has something to say i'm totally interested in watching their movie no matter what genre i just didn't know that there were so many people directing horrors that actually were like you know addressing cultural themes or um you know getting into the nitty-gritty there are and there aren't <laughs> yeah. yeah there are and you know that's why at the end of the day i always say there's like genre fans and there's film fans because like our producer randy here he's he's a film dude and he watches a lot of um foreign film or like up and comers or people who have a lot of critical acclaim where i will watch the new nun movie on tubi you know yeah. and it's i the thing is the reason me and randy got along is because we started talking about Truffaut. so i feel like i i like to flirt in both and I appreciate it when I feel the Venn diagram overlapping, which I did with your film. So I'm like, okay, how the fuck did these dudes get yeah. involved? Well, I, I, I want to stick on the, the practical effects thing for a little longer. Cause I, I think, you know, we talk about it on the show all the time of like, you know, when we see movies that kind of cut corners as it were. And I think that sometimes that, you know, in, in production, you can cut corners by, you know, subbing out some practical stuff for some VFX, like, you know, digital blood splatter, for example, which is, I think, one of the worst atrocities that we have. Um, <laughs> that, that That's really bad, but I, I think the king, uh, Russ, obviously has to be, you know, our beloved CG fire. Oh, yeah. Also is, is up there, too. Um, yeah. You know, it's CG fire is one of those things where it's it's always rough. Uh, yeah. But, you know, so, so, you know, for both of you guys, like, going into a production, like, obviously that's something that, you know, you have set aside budgetarily um, everything that, you know, hey, we're putting focus on practical effects here. Yes. Well, we so we have like, you know, we have a handful of moments throughout the film, throughout the script that we would, you know, prioritize. And then we would build out, especially for practical effects. There was a scene that we had to cut out of the movie that Leroy wrote that was, I mean, I love it. He loved it, but we just couldn't afford to do it practically. So we didn't do it. Um, but yeah, we, we pick the moments in the script and then build out and then, you know, address the script if we have to. But like I said, authenticity, like CGI, just it, the best it can do is be seem real. That's the best it can do. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas with practical effects, it's like you're starting there. 
uh, it's actually happening in the moment, even though there's makeup and prosthetics and like mechanical, like um, mechanical, you know, things happening in order to like create this effect. Um, it still is, it's happening. So I don't know, just, I don't like special effects in movies where they don't have to and not Leroy doesn't either. So we just, uh, we decided to go this route. Now the film is out, right? It came yeah. out. Okay. Yes, um, can you talk about the scene you cut or is that going to be like spoiler territory? We can say it. Leroy, go ahead. Are you talking about the, where everyone has flesh over their eyes and yeah. Cause the dreams are a big part of, as you know, with the movie about mm-hmm. um, how uh, the babies communicate with them and that like the, kind of informs <laughs> their purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just going over this cliff. Um, and like, we have a bigger budget. We would love to do stuff like that. We have so much written for a potential sequel. Well, tell him what the scene, what's happening in the scene. It's like such a fat, it's such a great, like, um, example of like one of the themes our movie's trying to explore. Yeah. So I, I think what we're doing, especially how we tried to uh, portray evil or any kind of possession is, uh, is, uh, and also that idea of like, you know, not what they do. And I don't want to spoil, but what even our main character goes is when a lot of times when they perform these kind of acts of evil, it's like the veil is over their eyes. It's like, it's literally covered with flesh and that's kind of the limits that we have to, um, you know, grapple with outside of just like being instinctual animals and responding to us and then being able to, um, you know, really understand the, the consequences of, uh, of actions or violence. And I, I, to go back to the, the practical effects is something why it's so important to us is that when violence does occur, you feel it viscerally. It's not fun. It's, we all have that primal, you know, thing inside us that, oh, yeah, that's not good. You want to know it's bad. But the... <laughs> We want them to feel it and be like, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> like, don't want it to seem, you know, um, like it can easily happen and you would not be affected. Part of the goal with it. But like the, the back to the cliff thing. Yeah, it was just something that would have been really great in the film with uh, um, how, how what we're trying to say and other, or what we're trying to address in the rest of the movie. And we just had to cut it out because we couldn't do it practically and we couldn't do it in the way we wanted. So. Like See, sacrifice, Russ. That's what it's all about. You know, For the better good. <laughs> yeah. Man, I have so many questions. I, I'm trying to like keep an order here, but I, I find it funny that you, you mentioned the babies while you're rocking a baby. And the whole time I'm thinking, <laughs> man, fuck these dudes. As you know, me and Lee were talking before about our, our newborns. And uh, man, it's a hard movie to watch if you have a little kid in your house. <laughs> so good job. Here's the thing. You, you you talk about violence and you make a horror movie and it's almost counterintuitive to make the violence something you don't want to experience. Because, you know, if we learn anything from Evil Dead 2, it's the, the cartoonification of violence is kind of something that's celebrated in the yeah. horror uh, community. And if we learned anything from Michael Haneke, <laughs> it's that a lot of horror fans don't own uh family. What the hell is he called? Family, why can't I think of his damn movie? What? what, what? Funny games. <laughs> Funny games. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, I like, where you're going. It's one of the most brutal experiences bringing your horror friend over and showing them funny games because you know they, they don't find it funny. But I really appreciate it whenever filmmakers can kind of weaponize that drive because you do. You come in to deliver us, and it's like, you know, we're kind of cheering it on. Like in the Nun too, I was ready for her to give people the Cenobite chain. But in this movie, you kind of dread it. So yeah. congratulations there. But I had to ask about the cut scene because you have a moment where, light spoiler, wolves are tearing a dude apart. And I'm like, you cut something for budgetary reasons, but you had that. Fantastic, by so the way. So I'm like, yeah, I, how the, one, how the fantastic. fuck did you do that? And two, I don't, how did you do it? Two, terrible way to go out. <laughs> this is, so this is an awesome the whole, it's one of my favorite and probably Leroy's two moments in the film. Um, so the, the wolves, they came with a guy called Zoltan, the Wolfman. That tells oh, you. Yeah. Of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> so like, he's the guy in Europe. If you got a, if you got a scene, you got wolves, he packs up and he drives there. 
And he came and he had his wolves and uh, he's like the leader of the pack. They all live together. Um, when I show up on set, um, that there's like a, you know, kind of like a canine vehicle, but they look like small horses in the back instead of dogs. Like they're, they're not the, I don't know how, what they look like to you on camera, but they're probably 150 plus pounds. They're, they're very big. And they're, I was scared to death. Leroy was just like, like, like they couldn't hurt him. Like they were dogs. <laughs> they're wolves. Like he he's, was like, he's like two inches from them. He like his gun's real. He's holding it. I was like, that's not a real thing. <laughs> like, you're like, they make one decision. You're dead. Anyway, um, I, when I show up to set, um, he's letting them out of the, uh, um, the canine vehicle and then they just attack him and he goes to the ground. And so what he did, spoiler alert is, um, they, um, he put meat underneath his clothing and training him for the scene. So we had, uh, everything shot listed exactly how it'd go. And then he had meat in certain part of his bodies under his clothes and they would tear at it. And so, so the, he didn't have any meat on him. Then they, it was just like, he rub it on him. And so they were coming, trying to get to it and like getting them ready. They hadn't eaten for two days. So he let them out of the cave. <laughs> and then you have your stunt performer, which is him, which he was same size, same hair as uh, Alexander Siddig. And um, they just rip him apart. Like there's moments when, when we're watching it, it's like, is, is he, are they, is this, this isn't, he, 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 he would laugh occasionally. So we knew that he wasn't getting actually ripped apart or when it first happened. <laughs> I think we're cat, we're doing a snuff film. I think he's being murdered, <laughs> but it all worked out. So, how many takes do you have with the Wolf Band? Just the one? <laughs> no, we got it. We got it twice. So oh, um, yeah. they ate all that meat, and then uh, reset. His handler friend reset, and they did it again, and we got it twice. Yeah, pretty crazy. Oh yeah. All right. And so now we've got the the coming on of the wolves is uh is we put the the meat in the dead body and then I had to come pretend like I was going to take it away from them. And they taught they taught us that when a wolf snarls and it looks like it's going to actually attack, it's when they're actually submitting. They're not like submitting all the way. They're kind of checking you still, but they're at least like, okay, you're you're in charge. It's if they don't snarl like that, it means that they're uh, exercising the fact that they're uh, the alpha and that they're gonna you know. That's actually something we just told Leroy so he wouldn't be nervous. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> really, you're like, uh, just kidding. So, all right. So, what did you say that the wolf guy's name was? Zoltan? Zoltan. Zoltan. All right. I need to know, like, what was Zoltan's vibe? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what's, what's Zoltan wearing? Exactly. Like, what what's, his, what's his vibe? Exactly. Yeah. What Leroy said, exactly what you think. You think you're a man until you meet Zoltan and you see what a real man, <laughs> like flannel, like just like burly, like uh thick. Now, um, he didn't have a shark tooth necklace, but it was something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Puka? With like a, like a ponytail. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Smelled like patchouli. <laughs> oh yeah. That's my he guy. smelled a little bit like raw meat. <laughs> 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 Hell yeah! I feel great. that kill may be the definitive wolf kill. I'm trying to think of another movie that even comes close. But we are talking about. Oh, so the the uh, like, if you look at cinema and you look at wolves, we like. I don't want to say. I mean, ours. I think I would say. I know I'm biased, but our wolf kill and our birthing are probably up there in all of cinema. Like our those two events in our film are kind of like, um, show me a better one is what I'd like to say, you know. Well, wolves they have a tragic fate on film to like lose all intimidation. Like what was what was that Liam Neeson movie, The Gray or yeah. something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, you want to talk about uh, a victim of CGI? Let's talk about the wolf. Yeah. God, man, <laughs> terrible CGI animals are the yeah. worst. Yet in your film. When you when you talked about them being 120 pounds, I remember watching and being like, I I felt it. They felt intimidating, and even the way you caught them, the way they kind of um, surrounded and were like lurking, it didn't. I didn't get the vibe that they just hopped off a truck with Zoltan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although that would have been pretty terrifying too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Congratulations. I can't think of anything that even comes close to that moment. Thank you, bro. Thank you. 
quite a compliment. Thank you. Thank you. Right. And please challenge me if anybody in here, I know you're all film fan. I can't think of anything. It's I, uh, yeah, it's great. All right. We'll open up the five. <laughs> we'll open up the uh, phone lines. Five, nine, nine, rock five, nine, nine, roll. Give us a call. <laughs> if, uh, you know, of any wolf movie out there that could match delivers. Um, so Leroy, how was it managing both, you know, being the, the star of the film, the co-director, the writer, like, you know, how, how were your days on set? How did, uh, how did you manage all of that? Oh, well, uh, I mean, having crew and Isaac, uh, made it possible, but, uh, unhealthy cope, coping, coping, uh, coping mechanisms for sure. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> drinking a lot of beer on set later to kind of wind down, uh, Belgium, uh, only beer brewed by monks. Just to bring oh, it back. My oh, man. What a life. Is drinking in it. We have like little Easter eggs, some like really rare, uh, beers. West Vla- West Valerian beer, you know, we were able to get our hands on. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you get to drink about. with Zoltan. I didn't. I don't. Uh, yeah. Oh, He's I feel girl. like that would be an adventure. <laughs> yeah. I don't think. Yeah, we'd have been on a bender for like three days with him. It seems like. Now, Zoltan, reason- I bet, would just drink straight motor oil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, Zoltan. Yeah. So did you have your kid around the time you were filming or is that was the movie all wrapped by then? Uh, oh, we, we wrapped this about two years ago. So no, not even close. We had to just wait so long to work with all the people we wanted to work with. Like Brent Kaiser, from, he did the sound for everything, everywhere, all at once. And we knew, oh, wow. me and crew had this sound Bible that we uh, had prepared as we were filming. And, you know, we had to wait six months because he's in so high demand. And then we wanted to work with the best colorists, which is Photochem. They do all the big movies. And so we had to wait even longer. And so it was just kind of, uh, yeah, the patience to get to get all these creatives involved that really made the film what it is. Yeah, I, you know, we talked to so many indie people that I, I don't know. I don't know if they can really like live in post-production that long. Cause what I hear now is a lot of people try to do like a third party distributor on um, streaming services that will kind of get you on like uh, in other countries through like Tubi and all these other outlets. And a lot of them I hear get demand from these people like, Hey, get your movie out now. So did you have any like push from production to like not wait for these great talented people or. Well, since we were in control, it's our production company. We kind of just had the the ability to do that, and I would recommend that to any filmmaker trying to to make. If they, especially if you have a low budget, you know they have that classic. If you can have a good, fast, or what's the other one? Time. Good, fast. Oh. Uh, Easy. I don't know. Expensive. Yeah. <laughs> expensive. Good, fast, expensive, and you have to pick two. Um, and so. Yeah, to to kind of try if you can get your financier down early and say, hey, this is we'll be able to you know spend a fraction of it for better, but you know we're gonna have to you have to sit on this for a little bit. Yeah, I mean yeah, okay. it could have lined up better, like it could have all just happened, but it just you know it just wasn't the way the world worked for us at that time. You know, like those were the guys that we were committed to using, and so we had to wait. We didn't initially want to wait; that wasn't the plan. It was just. We have to do it on their schedules in order for them to do it. And it was worth the wait because it enriches the film so much. Like the value of the film is so much more because of the like Alaska Arnold at Photocam and Brent Kaiser, you know, and so and then Toadie, of course, the composer. So like having those three people is, you know, worth the nine months that, you know, we had to wait. Our movie was finished at the beginning of this year and then Magnolia pushed it out to October for the release because you know this is the time for those movies and i think that's a common thing when like discovered indie films like whenever they're found and picked up then you know they'll pick the right time to release them so it's not necessarily immediately they could do it you know whenever's best time especially if it's a genre film yeah interesting because you got a heady movie here and um anybody listening you know this is right up our alley I, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm curious how in October, you know, as a, as a horror fan, I call it yeah. tourist season where people want to show up and make their 31 horror movie list and everything. Sure. And I wonder how it's going to land with them. 
because yeah. they're going to come in here and be like, oh, I, I hope a hot nun kills some dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they get one of the most brutal uh, wolf scenes ever committed to celluloid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, you're going to, some people are going to be happily surprised, I think. Well, also, you know, I, I think in, again, if you guys haven't figured this out, uh, that, you know, the horror community is very judgmental and, um, oh, you know, no idea. yes, <laughs> oh it is, it, it, they're great. They're, they're, they're the salt of the earth, lovely people. And I say that as, as one of, you know, I am that, but we're also, <laughs> we also judge, but I'll tell you that also in, in, and this is something, you know, we've been doing this show seven years now and we watch a lot of films, a lot of screeners, stuff comes in. I'm judging that movie based upon the production movie that's telling me, you know, what I'm about to see. And I think that I'm not alone in that. A lot of people are that way. You know, when you watch a lot of films, you kind of kind of have an idea of what to expect. So when we turned on your movie and we see, you know, Magnolia and Magnet, we're safe, baby. Yeah, production. We're in good territory. Oh, you know, yeah. it's so so I think that, you know, to to have that, to have that sort of, you know, truly stamp of approval. Of like, okay, you know, this is a this is a real deal, legit thing, and we're about to uh, get into it. We couldn't agree more. We, I mean, we were blessed with a bunch of offers for this film. So, um, like, Magnolia always seemed like the right fit, just because of their catalog. Like, they have such a yeah. history of like, you know, they've done it well for a long time, and so we knew they wouldn't botch this rollout. And so far, they've been crushing. So yeah, we turned down a lot of money just to go with them, in a sense. Yeah. Well, um, Clark is completely correct. When we threw that on, Magnolia popped up. We're like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, we're like, okay. We, we straightened <laughs> up our collar a little bit. You know, we, we straightened our back. We got uh, we got ready to go to Art House, yep. baby. Started brewing coffee. We're like, oh, That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pinky's up. Let's go. <laughs> it was great. So now, okay. Um, if you're listening, you, you should have caught on by now. Go watch this movie. Deliver us. It's available. Now I'm curious about the first film y'all did. Well, is it a, a beer tale? Is that what we were talking about earlier? Yes. <laughs> well, you're shaking your head no, crew. Now, did we have this special effects guy who worked for uh, Lars von Trier on here, too? All right, All right. This Leroy was 20 years old. I was like 24. We, when I was 17, you know. Oh, like, fuck yeah. In the brewery. We, uh, like, <laughs> first of all, best film school in the world. Um, we learned so much. We loved it. We uh, went back and actually re-edited this movie uh, last year, like with the skill sets we have now. And it's actually a really good film. We might. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we'll probably put it back out there. We're, yeah, we're oh, definitely yeah. re-releasing like uh, uh, an anniversary edition because it was like a little cult classic type thing. It was like brewery snobs and stuff like that. But it was like no way showed, showed like the filmmakers we would eventually become. And so it was good that it was gone until we brought it up now. <laughs> right. How do we watch the original cut? <laughs> we don't want the tampered one. We want the, 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 yeah. the unaltered beer tail. I think we, we, we took it. We took the rights back so that we could do that. So I think you have to buy us. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Well, how did, how did y'all meet? Uh, great. Said, yeah. Go ahead, Lee. Oh, I, we, I was at film school at USC and uh, I was acting in another filmmaker's project and crew showed up as an actor and uh, we just hit it off right away. We went and had, well, we went to that Mexican restaurant, drank a bunch of pizzas and yeah. And then we awesome. like, how, let's do our own project. Like I, I'm going to leave school. And then me and Isaac dropped out together and we got crew uh, and the three of us, you know, just started from there, not really knowing what we were doing. Did you have plans? Like, what were you guys watching at the time that was inspiring you? Ooh, for that movie, it was Sideways, Bottle Shock. Yeah. That's, like, kind of what was, like... Uh, Dazed like, and Confused. That's basically... It's a hangout movie, right? Yeah. A little bit of a Friday Night Lights vibe. <laughs> I believe was very much in love with Friday Night Lights at that time. Um, what else? There was so much. It was a fun time. I mean, it was like one of the best experiences I've ever had, to be honest. Like at our premiere, we saw two of the guys that we made it with. Um, and it was surreal. It was like one of the more special moments of the night because we, you know, we haven't seen them in like 12 years or whatever. Um, it was great. 
great experience. Yeah, they sound like dudes you would have hung out with in college. <laughs> you know, man. Yeah. Party time, yeah. baby. See, here's my problem. Y'all are fucking cool dudes, good looking guys. You, oh, you know what you're doing. You're talented. This is probably the last horror movie you're ever going to make. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this you know this is what happens you know we get these these people who have um they love the medium and they love the art form of film and every now and then there's a story that needs to be told and they make a good horror movie and then they don't come back where mm. you know a lot of the time the people that we praise in the horror community is like Wes Craven who was a great he had a good mind for film but he didn't make a lot of great films and every decade he would make one that would kind of change the genre yeah. But in between those those footnotes, there was a lot of stuff you could skip. And it's like, that's the debate. Who do who do we praise more? The the people who popped in and made something great and will never return? Or the guy who got shackled to the wall and made a, a few really good ones, but like 10 that we have all forgotten? And I think you're going to fall into that first category. And I don't think you're ever going to be here again. Also, so, no. I think you're projecting. <laughs> and then also, I failed to mention... <laughs> That uh, not only horror fans are all the things that I previously said, also insecure. Oh. So there we go there. <laughs> just wanted to wrap up everything that you horror just fans, said. They're very funny, though, with just how mean their comments are. So I oh, will Okay. They always make it a little, like, clever. Yeah. Well, hold on. <laughs> I appreciate that as a writer. Hold on. Now, what are we talking about here? This is a thing we love to talk about on this show. Uh -huh. you, you hit and a nerve on the comment there, section. There are, <laughs> there are different groups of uh, horror fans. And if you're referring to IMDb, don't uh -huh. even read them. Because okay. that's where the that's the bridge under where all the trolls live. I'm telling you, the, the people that write reviews on IMDb, they, I mean, these are primordial sludge beings. I mean, they're, they're barely above like snot in a jar. <laughs> that are writing these reviews. So pay pay no heed to them. Okay, but if we're talking about letterboxed, that's the that's the other uh, end of the pendulum swing here. Yeah. And these are the highbrow, they're holding the uh, gavel of cinema and you you must have done a wrong somewhere. So mm -hmm. I where where are these comments coming from? I'd say from all three, probably. I mean, we're, 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 we're getting such good comments too. Like, I, I, that's what's great. But uh, it's fun. I, it's true. You, you focus it on the on the bad ones. There has well, been a. Like, it's like a polarizing movie. So, yeah. like, like one of the comments is like, "Religion is stupid. Why are people making movies like this anymore?" You know, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I I went to USC uh, and did a screening there. And uh, the moderator was like a Q&A and it was received really great. And there was a few like uh, and, uh, that like were calling it Christian propaganda. And he was the one moderating it with the answer, like the questions. And I was like, I, I, I don't have a good vibe on him. And then the next day <laughs> he, he posts on Letterbox. I should have grilled them more about the Christian propaganda. <laughs> I you know, screenshotted that review and then I used it in order to, you know, pack out. I was like, let's do it. I don't know why people need the they feel the need to editorialize like that. Like let the art sit on its own. And you know, Letterboxd you get a lot of that. And it's so we've employed the the best method of review, which is the 12-star review. Don't worry, we'll send you oh we'll send you an email with the complicated conversion chart and a conversion chart. And the whole purpose here is that and again, I hate I hate to pull back the curtain. I hate because so many people still don't get it. It's the idea that your fucking personal star rating isn't that important. I hate to break uh, it to you. Yeah. Yet on Letterboxd, people would rather die than accidentally give something a five-star review. So completely different than IMDb, but also take it with a grain of salt. I mean, yeah. I yeah. get shit all the time for giving out five stars. And it's like, again, um, I promise not to bring up Saw anymore, but I was sitting in the theater this past Thursday next to somebody who was laughing, having a great time immediately when the movie ended, stood up, said that movie's trash. And I'm like, bitch, I sat right next to you. And like, what did you come well, here for? Like, yeah. Like what is the proper reaction to a movie? If you had a good time, then you were entertained, right? Like, True. but I guarantee you that motherfucker probably gave it two and a half, two stars. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what we're doing with this shit. 12 star review. That's the only way. That's right. <laughs> but again, your movie's going to find its audience. I think, um, you know, word of mouth, weirdos like us, we're going to, we're going to push this thing. And 
there's there's stuff to like actually take from your film, which I think is probably also going to catch people off guard too. Yeah, and male nudity. So I know we have a group of people out there who enjoy that. Again, <laughs> when a penis shows up in a film, you know that um, anything can now happen. <laughs> and I mean that. I'm I do mean that when that when male nudity happens, you're like, okay. I feel like we're always looking for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> boobs, fine. Yeah, penis. Now we're talking. Lars von Trier is not scared to have a naked male on screen. That's right. No. Well, I mean, it, it, to be fair, it, you know, it, it, Lee and I share that in common, as I have been naked on film multiple times. <laughs> That's what we do. But see, now it's it's different situations, you know. And when your body's a bit, you know, you got to go for the joke. That's one thing. Lee's in a different universe there. Uh, yeah. So uh, good job with the with the penis shot, Lee. That was all very nice, very artfully done. Thank you. <laughs> Who made so me do it? Practical I, I effects or do it? <laughs> CGI? How how did we touch that up? Uh, we, actually, uh, we had prosthetic. You know, we wanted to give me a little bit of uh, help there. Boogie nights. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, why, why did why did I do prosthetic? Kidding. <laughs> we didn't do prosthetic. That was an option. God, you know, here's the here's the sad part. This is uh, he's not joking. Uh, there there is, and if if we had the clip, I would send it to y'all because I think it is. It's a strong bit. It's premiering at the end of the month. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, guys, this was a blast. Um, was so this was so fun. much fun. I love yeah, talking to you, too. This is great. Or three. Yeah. Or Leroy, always. Well, you know, uh, we kind of pretend to be a horror show, but <laughs> Clark and Randy, they mostly don't watch horror movies. That is not true. So in your next film, which will inevitably not be a horror film, you're always welcome to come back. <laughs> and, you know, like... Tack us on the end of your um, podcast gauntlet, and uh, we'll, we'll try and you know keep you entertained. Absolutely. Yeah, is, well, hold on. We we're probably going to make an Inuit horror film next. It's a detective thriller set in the oh, Arctic. Oh, that's what. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay. Here, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very quickly. Now, here's the thing, Leroy. If if this is all right. So, like I said, we've been doing this show for seven years. Uh, in, in that time, we have talked to guests on six of the seven world's continents. And that's something I'm very proud of that we've been able to do on our little humble little show. So if you if you guys shoot and Antarctica, we need to set up an interview because then that's going to complete my seventh one. So work out the Antarctica thing. If it happens, hook us up and we can complete that circle. That, You're our missing link here, Leroy. It, it's funny. That's literally a conversation we had like a month ago. We're like, we've never interviewed anybody from Antarctica. It's the one we're film. missing. <laughs> well, we can, we can revamp the thing, you know? <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorites. When we were talking earlier, that's one of my all-time favorites. Talk about practical. Atmosphere. Oh, it's, it's the top. It's the top. Yeah. And, you know, for a little insight into my background, the thing is the movie that wasn't popular when I rediscovered it. And then now it's like, you know, AMC, it's on everybody's list. And now I'm like, I, I like drift away from it. I like, I constantly have to find new shit, which is good because it gives us the drive to like look into guys like you and find new cool stuff. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, man, John Carpenter used to be my favorite director. Now I don't even know if I would say that. So what? you still love Ghost of Mars? I do. <laughs> hey, I heard there's, there's a DVD bonus feature of John Carpenter um, playing with Slash while they're composing that soundtrack. Oh, that's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth it. Like, I, ignore the movie. Just watch that. But, wow. Yeah. I, I love you guys. And um, yeah. So before we go uh, again, thank you guys for coming on. Um, anything you like, you know, movies out now, deliver us uh, VOD. Uh, anything else you guys want to plug uh, socials, whatever you got. Well, um, our, our next film's called devil's fruit should be out relatively soon. And it's a, uh, a revenge drama set over 12 years across 16 different countries shot predominantly in Cuba. Um, yeah, that's, uh, uh that's going to be a really big deal for us, but, uh, it, it deals with a sub, a uh, couple of similar themes that we address in this film. So look out for that. And I'm crew underscore Enos on Instagram and Twitter. So, and then Leroy is. Yeah. Just Leroy Coons. Uh, you know, all the socials now. I'm on TikTok now. Oh, <laughs> oh boy! Congratulations! <laughs> I can't go. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't go. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm the same. Also, uh, looked up Devil's Fruit. That poster y'all got is Randy. You might want to check this one out. Oh, it's all psychedelic. Yeah. 
Saul Bass is my favorite uh, graphic yeah. artist. And um, we worked with Chris Coelli, who did um, our tattoos and our uh, a lot of our uh, art for Deliver Us to make that poster for Devil's Fruit. Yeah, he's amazing. Dude, it's fucking good. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. And is this the end of your podcast gauntlet, or do you have more lined up? I think you guys are it. This is a, a good one to end on. This is the most. Yeah, end it on top, baby. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.